Good morning. I'm Kathy Baker, and uh, along with Dave and Jean Nevels and Dylan and Jane Palmer, who's out here somewhere I saw earlier, we're, we're part of the spiritual formation team at, here at Christ Church. And our hope this morning as we present to you uh, our direction and purpose is to communicate why, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So with this information, then, we can begin to help each other clear our way to follow Jesus together. So let's pray. Father, our desire is to love you, to honor you, to follow you with our whole hearts and love you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I ask this morning that uh, you would direct our conversation together. You would help us to hear with our hearts the things that you want us to hear and to disregard the rest. But Father, too, I ask that you would give us the words that you want us to say and that um, only the things that uh, will glorify you will be remember today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thanks, Jean and Dave, for agreeing to be up here with me this morning. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is a very important conversation that we need to take part. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to be here. I'm grateful to be here because um, loving God the way Jesus does, that is, that's something I really want to be talking about. It's something I want to be about. It's the kind of person that I want to be. And Dylan really hit that well this morning, and I just really appreciate um, the emphasis that he did, did put on that, that loving God the way Jesus did. Jesus marked that command as first, that um, we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. That's how Jesus loved God, with all those alls. And we can learn to love God like that, too, because Jesus is alive to help us and because God's not far off. Jesus' basic message was the availability of life in the kingdom of God now, here, where we are. His opening words in his ministry in Galilee were, Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. But we want to examine our assumptions about what those words mean. Repentance as Jesus used it, was not beating up on yourself until you feel sufficiently sorry. That repentance Jesus used is the word metanoia, which means to think about your thinking or rethink how you think. And kingdom refers to a domain, a rule, an area of authority or um, where you exercise control. So it's in that context that we have to ask ourselves, so who's currently king or queen of our lives? And if we're honest... I'll have to say, me. As ruler of my life, I'm the one who's running my life. But that's a problem. Because I have to admit that the kingdom of my life generally runs out of my control. But by turning our kingdom over into God's kingdom, we're set free from the burden of controlling our world and our lives. Because the kingdom of God is actually just God in action. You find yourself in the kingdom of God when you enter into the activity of God or the reign of God. So Jesus brings us into this interactive relationship with God. Out of that, we learn to leave gladly our disordered kingdoms behind and then live as servants or cooperatives in God's kingdom. And that's where we find that God's will is done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And that's God's mission, God's goal, is the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. And as Dylan pointed out, Jesus also said that we love in two directions, that we love God and we love our neighbor. 
and he commissioned his disciples in love to bear witness to his reality beginning in their neighborhood and then to the ends of the earth, which is why when I recently revisited the notes from the process Christchurch went through in 2007, I got excited all over again about that missional vision and how that process went in which we discerned because we found that this new mission that God has laid on our hearts is a community devoted to following Jesus together, expressed specifically through our commitment to loving God and loving others. And that following Jesus together, that's even on our new sign, if you've noticed out front. Right. Looks good. Yeah. Yeah. So, good. So this is our goal, to love like Jesus, is to follow Jesus together in what Jesus is doing. You know, and I'm committed to this mission and vision that is expressed in this threefold intention of loving God, loving others, and loving the world like Jesus. And loving God is the place I want to start. Because I first want to know the God that Jesus revealed and addressed as Abba, as Daddy. And I want what I learned to recite when I was a little girl in Sunday school, to know God and to enjoy God forever. I also want to live my life here and now from that enduring joy with God as Jesus shows me how, but in the company of others who are also participating with the Holy Spirit in the movements and the activity of God on this planet. That's the kingdom way of a real kind of life that Jesus is the way to. And I know by experience that his way is true, and I also know by experience that not his way is not life. Right, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this Jesus way attached to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life, mm -hmm. the kingdom, right. here on earth as it is in heaven. We can't proclaim the truths of Jesus and then do it any old way we want mm -hmm. and expect that it's going to happen. That's just not the way it works. This Jesus way, this kingdom life, it's a different way of living. It's not a supplement to the ways of the world. We're not trying to just do good things in the name of Christ. That's fine. But what we're trying to do is become something. We're trying to become Christ-like, transformed, if you will, into people who love God as Jesus does, who love each other as Jesus does, who love the world as Jesus does. And through the Holy Spirit continues to teach us to do that today. That's right. So... In this Jesus way, then, we have this threefold intention of loving God, loving the world, loving others like Jesus, which is where and how God acts, which is the kingdom. Right. Well, at the same time, in 2007, while this mission was being discerned, the plan to live into the vision together also emerged. Now, we have verifiable evidence that we have been visited by God, and I want the community to remember, and I want you to recall with me, that we as a community have been visited by God, that we heard God together, and that God has given us guidance because it was documented. And the document was quite practically referred to as the strategic plan. Right. So this plan proposed several initiatives to help us live into our mission. And the top three initiatives were to create a front porch community or culture of faith, to cultivate servant leaders, and to clear the way to follow Jesus. And so you've heard those referenced to those initiative teams before. And just to remember that, that those teams came out of our hearing and our discerning God together. Right. And like the vision, the strategic plan is threefold. 
but it's single-minded. It's single-minded in its goal of communal and cultural transformation. Right. So the Front Porch Initiative, it emphasizes invitation, hospitality, and welcome, the kind of welcome that you would experience stepping up onto your good friend's front porch that whosoever will may come. Then the servant leaders and spiritual leaders, they emerge from among us. As we grow as disciples of Jesus, then we can lead others into that way of Jesus. It's from our unique experiences and our gifts. Clearing the way emphasizes that intimacy of relationship with God and with others. And as we clear the obstacles and the distractions from our lives that hinder that really deep friendship, then we reclaim time and space for love and joy. So we are this one community of the kingdom of God. We are following Jesus together. And we have this, this threefold intention to love like Jesus and this three-initiative plan to being a front porch culture of servant leaders clearing the way to follow Jesus. Yet we're still singly focused on this transforming journey together now in which all of our teams and all of our ministries are to be marked by all three characteristics of this Jesus way. So woven together, this helps open up the way of grace for us as individuals and as a community to be in that position where this whole life transformation can occur. Right. And this transformation doesn't just occur automatically when you accept Christ into your life. It's an ongoing process that requires our participation. We must put ourselves in a position where this can happen and open ourselves up to the transforming work of the Spirit, spiritual formation. <laughs> And this happens through spiritual disciplines practiced in a specific way over a long period of time. A long obedience in the same direction, Eugene Peterson calls it. And sometimes, like you noted, we must first repent or rethink the ways and the means by which we're currently operating and be willing to clear some of that stuff out of the way that's paralyzing us and not letting us grow deeper in our walks with God. Absolutely. You're exactly right. Which is why, to carry out our mission, vision, and values through the strategic plan, it became evident to us that we had to first identify and clear out of the way the things that were wrong thinking for us and the obstacles that kept us from following Jesus. So it, it's really essential for us to, to understand what stops us, what gets us off course, what confuses us, and what defeats us. So, Kathy, this has been your passion since even before Clear the Way was named. So could you just um, review with us um, what this is and how it came to be? Sure. I'll try. How much time do we have? Okay. Um, I was part of the strategic plan uh, from the beginning as we began to, to think of it and, and to um, imagine what it might be for us and listen to God. And, and I was part of the Clear the Way to Follow Jesus task force that, that looked at several ways for us to understand what our wrong thinking was and the obstacles that we might need to overcome. And so we looked at the American church at large and said, what are the things that seem to be true of all churches in America that keep us from really following Jesus well? And the first one that really rose to the top clearly was that the American church has fallen in the trap of consumeristic Christianity. For the past 20 or 30 years, we have approached Christianity from the same way that our culture approaches life, which is, what can you offer me? What goods and services do you offer that uh, will meet my needs? 
Now, in some ways, this was good because it was trying to to uh, help attract and, and understand our culture and bring them in. But it did some ne negative things for us. The power then belonged to the outsider. And we were always trying to keep people engaged and entertained. All the while, those who were really hungering after God were starving because they weren't able to have the nourishment and tools that they needed to effectively live kingdom lives. And that kind of leads right into the second trap that we identified, which was entertaining our people rather than giving them what they need to grow up. So we discerned that we had to be more entertaining and offer something that would be more attractive to our consumeristic palate than what was offered out there in other places. And this opens the door for us to become passive observers, spectators, if you will, critiquing our performance, don't do that today, and rather than engaging in worship of God and focusing on his presence. And the third trap that, that we saw and understood is much more than 20 to 30 years old. It goes back at least to the time of Constantine, and that was uh, that of institutional Christianity. It creates wrong thinking in several ways. It creates a hierarchy within the church. Some are looked upon as being more spiritual or professional in the things of God. And people then start depending upon them for their spiritual nourishment. And just, it's just the same way as in the natural world when you have a child, then you feed them when they need that. But there comes a time in the life of a child that you hand them the spoon and get out of the way. <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> but we say it's your turn. It's your turn. You try. And the role of the parent becomes different, becomes of a coach, a mentor, an encourager, somebody who helps them understand how that works. And so it's the same way in our spiritual lives. Another thing that we thought through was that doing the, these things, having this wrong thinking, means that uh, specific uh, equipping gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, are, and, but people who have them are not ordained or paid, suddenly have a hard time using those gifts. There's no place for them in the church. They're, it's as though God has made a mistake. And, you know, what, is, what am I supposed to do with these gifts? I can't use them. And that they become irrelevant and impotent. And it also means that the power and authority rests with a few. So we become followers of a person or a group of people instead of followers of Jesus. Okay, so if, if our goal with God is God with God in God's kingdom, so first we clear the way so that we can love God the way Jesus loved God, which requires um, our effort by God's grace for that transformation that Dave talks about. And then at the same time, then we begin to apply practical means that, um, that we can do. Right. Okay. That's right. And so uh, we began to think through, so if we've identified these conditions or these things that cause us to think wrongly about church, what do we do? How do we come up against these or how do we fix them? So obviously the first one, and if you're following along in here, this is where you start writing. <laughs> uh, we identify and help each other understand why we come together as a church. What is our purpose? And you know, this week, well, the last couple of weeks, God's really been having me uh, stay in Ephesians. I've been doing the daily readings, but I've also been doing Ephesians. And uh, there's several things that he's been showing me in Scripture that really points to the purpose of the church. So if you've got your Bible with you, I do. Um, open up to Ephesians chapter 2 really quickly. Chapter 2, and let's look at verse 20. 
through 22, Paul's speaking to the, to the Ephesian believers and he says, We are all together, his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. That's our foundation. And then we who are believe, we are built on top of that. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, we all are also joined together as part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. God lives, we are his temple us as a people, and he lives and dwells within us. And so we reflect to the world and, and uh, house God's spirit when we come together as community. So that's one of our purposes. Another purpose, and there are many in here, but I'll just share one more. If you flip over to chapter 4 and go to uh, verse 11. Paul is talking again and talking about uh, the purpose. And he says, within the church, it was God who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. These are five giftings that he gives to the church. And different people have these gifts. And here's their responsibility. It is to equip the people of God to do his work so that the church, the body of Christ, may be built up until... First, we come to unity in the faith. And secondly, that we come to knowledge of the Son of God, which is not an intellectual knowledge. This is an intimate knowledge of of friendship, a a knowing of each other very, very well. Those are the things that these gifted people are supposed to do in our midst. So... As we look at that then, the second thing that uh, we saw is that we, if we do these things and if we're starting to allow the people to use those gifts and we want them to, then we can participate together as a church rather than to be entertained. So obviously one of the things we have to do is practice our spiritual gifts and we need to have room for people and give permission for everybody to practice their gifts in a safe and loving place in order to help them grow and, and mature in the use of their gifts no matter what they are. And in fact, if you look at Romans, if you want to flip back to Romans very quickly, to chapter 12, which is always a good place. But in verse 6, Paul's talking to him about these gifts. And I'll just read very briefly. He says, I have different gifts, or we have different gifts, according to the grace given to us. If a person's gift is prophesying, let her use it the proportion of her faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. And he goes on and on. But notice the words, let him do this, let her do this. Let him use these gifts among the people. And, and when you do this, this allows us to participate fully in the, in the life of the body. And it gets, it gets us out of that entertainment mode. And we can encourage each other, help each other, teach each other, and equip each other to grow up in our gifts and calling. Another thing that we can do to overcome this is that we can give each other our spoon and say, it's your turn, you try. And we can become coaches for each other to help us. That's why we have these inserts. As Bob was so well saying, there's a reading schedule that we can make practices in our life that we can go to God ourselves and listen to his voice and say, what do you want to teach me? And and try to to discern what he's saying. Then we can gather together. There's coffee groups that we actually have around town that you can come together and talk about these daily readings and what God is teaching you and saying, this is what I'm hearing. What are you hearing? And seeing what, what the voice of God is saying. Then we have people like Dylan or anybody that can come up and say, 
people, this is what I'm hearing God say. This is, this is what I hear. And we can be encouraged by that and, and help each other grow in that way. And Bob's sermon or whoever is giving the message that morning can expand upon what you have read during that week. So it all comes out of these daily readings that our, our messages on Sunday mornings help expand and go deeper. And so do our small groups. So small groups even take it a step further, and you can have accountability and pray for each other and ask good questions. But it all comes back to ways that we get these disciplines into our lives so that God can speak into our hearts and we can grow up together into Christ. And our last mandate that we, what we came up with is that we can resist the natural tendency to create a controlled institution rather than participate in an organic movement of God. Now, this is really interesting. Neil Cole, who authored the book um, Organic Leadership and Organic Church, says this. To establish order and control, we have erected tight structures that not only oppose the unity and order that Jesus wants, but prevents us from ever having it. Our structures have enslaved us. The chain of command that we have established is a chain that holds us in bondage. It is time to repent, to rethink. It wasn't nice of him to agree with us. So what's the difference then between these kinds of structures and a movement of God? He says movements are like this. They are grassroots, often underground, and they start with crazy people who are willing to believe the impossible. Movements never start in corporate offices with executives drawing up a master plan. Looking for the best and brightest and recruiting them to the work is not how world-changing movements start. If we truly want to see the world changed, we must begin as a band of madmen, welcoming other crazy people who want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So that's why it's important to be able to discern the voice of God together. So we desire to give authority and permission to the uh, people of God to dream big and to listen to their dreams and to pray for God's guidance. And when God gives a green light, we make sure that they are adequately equipped and, and, and supported, and then we get out of the way. Right. Pray. Yeah. Pray. And that's why we teach and we practice and we emphasize prayer, <laughs> prayer of every kind. Intercessory prayer, contemplative prayer, devotional prayers, breath prayers. We need to learn to pray without ceasing. Right. Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time and he immediately goes to the temple. His response to what he sees is to overturn tables and clear out those who were creating a marketplace within the temple courts. And he taught them, saying, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer? Yeah. For all nations. Isn't it interesting that there's already consumerism in the temple? Right. Yeah. Go figure. So I guess it's older than 20 or 30 years, isn't yes. it? But that's why prayer is so important. It's one of our most important mandates. Our desire is that we become people of the word and prayer. And it should saturate everything that we do as a people of God. And there are many more mandates. And I know you're looking at your watch, so we're not going to talk about them today. And they're, but they're all very important, such as that we promote and encourage participation in service and mission as a way to grow spiritually, that we live with financial wisdom and faithfulness, that we develop a spiritual mentoring process here to help us learn how to pick up our spoon and walk with Jesus. All of these are very important. And they deserve a whole message, if not a whole message series for each one, which is part of actually our future plans. 
Right. Okay. So what you're saying is first, we need to clear the way. Yes. And then second, I think, which actually we should be doing um, as we are clearing the way. Right. Is we must follow Jesus. Right. We don't follow a specific person. We don't follow a leader. We don't follow a program, a system, an organization, a philosophy. Those things change. Mm-hmm. And they seem to change on a regular basis. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We imitate him and we walk with him as individuals and as a community. Right. Our problem, as Alan Hirsch said in his book so well and read Jesus, uh, he says that we have, is that we have so domesticated Jesus into a tame, boring person that it's hard to want to follow him. The process of re-Jesusing the church will, will begin with the rediscovery of the fierce and outrageous life of Jesus. Too many people have become turned off the church because of the object of our faith that seems so bland and insipid. Kathy, that reminds me of your quote about the archbishop who says that everywhere Jesus went, there was a riot. Everywhere I go, they make me a cup of tea. (laughs) That's very sad, isn't it? It is. So, yes, so we have to clear the way and and clearing the way so that we can follow Jesus. And importantly, too, is that we follow Jesus together. In many ways, we are victim to our individualistic culture, which was another thing to look at, that our faith is more about me and Jesus than about working together in unity. God lives in perfect community within himself. He made us in his image to reflect who he is. And it is impossible for us to give justice to reflecting his image if we only make it about me and Jesus. But that is very important, but it's only a part of it. And so we do faith in community. Community is important. Coming together as a body of believers in worship and relationship. That's why we do small groups. And that's why we do everything as teams here. And there are no lone rangers in faith. It's harder to do our faith in, in groups, but it teaches us about ourselves and about, and about God when we humble ourselves and actually work together. Okay, so then it's together that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. keeping in mind that this kind of knowledge comes through a loving, interactive relationship with God, and that grace is God acting in our lives, which is the kingdom. Right. And, and as Jesus makes this Jesus way clear for us, we will know that we're growing in our love for God because the results will be visible and verifiable. Right, because we'll discover that there's remarkable changes in our beliefs or our fundamental attitudes or our, even our emotional conditions. Living the kingdom life, people find that they're really ready to act as if Jesus Christ actually is Lord and Master of the universe. This is a fact that's just remarkable, but about themselves, they own up to. And with that will be a remarkable change in their emotional condition. Less anxiety, less irritability. What's most prominent will be hopefulness with joy and peace. Amen. 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 And we will actually receive communication from God. In living the kingdom life, People will learn to identify a characteristic kind of thought or experience that comes to them from God. And they'll find themselves spoken to and taught about many things. And these communications will be testable against the realities of life and the insights of others. 
As Jesus promised in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Amen. Amen. And we will also discover the reality of the light burden and the easy yoke. People will find that someone is actually with them and they will find that when they have to do that, that they will have to do does not crush them and the quality of their life and not just a rare hit or miscondition. Amen. We're going to just pause and let you soak some of that in for a second. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we do want to love you like Jesus loves you, God, with all of our being. And we do want to learn to adore you. So, people of God, will you join us in praying this prayer of adoration together in unison? vastness of the universe when I realize that I am part of something much bigger than I can conceive then I know what it is to call you creator God architect of the heavens and the earth maker of all things seen and unseen when I am lost in wonder at the tiniest detail when I realize how wonderfully I am made then I know what it is to call you father God the one who has known me from birth, the one who knows me by name and loves me. When I feel safe and warm and cozy and snug, when I feel at peace and at one with the world, then I know what it is to feel your arms wrapped around me, the God who, like a mother hen, would gather us up under her wings. Then I know what it is to call you Abba, Daddy, the God who holds me up and will not let me go. When I am tired of life and all the expectations people have of me, when I'm not quite the angel that people expect me to be, when I'm not quite the person you have made me to be, then I know what it is to call you the forgiving God, the God who is always ready to refresh my faith and give me a new start. When I don't understand the world anymore, When it all seems beyond me, when life seems to pass me by, moving at a pace that's hard to match, then I am ready to meet the God who calls us apart, the God who calls us to stillness and contemplation. Be still and know that I am God. When I am drawn together with my sisters and brothers in Christ, when I gather with friends of Jesus from far and far, then I know that I can never be alone in faith that you made us to be your body, the God who has no hands or feet on earth but ours, the God who calls us to serve him together. When I discover what it is to share, when I learn that the gifts that life has to offer are much richer when they are given away, then I'm ready to understand the God who gave himself for the whole, the God who sent his only son that we might believe in whose name we pray. Amen.